any leader that isn't working to be better and trying to develop themselves along the way is probably going to hit an end point at some point. We have to constantly learn to improve and adapt and it requires work. Leadership requires work. It's, um, you know, it's not easy. There are challenges. There are things to learn. Professional development should continue throughout your career, throughout your life, always looking for new ways. Welcome to Long Blue Leadership, presented by the U.S. Air Force Academy Association and Foundation. Your host for this edition of Long Blue Leadership is Navir Walkowitz, USAFA class of 99, currently serving the Association of Graduates as Senior Vice President of Alumni Relations and Business Development, and as a member of the AOG Board of Directors. And now, Navir Walkowitz. My guest today is retired Colonel Kim K.C. Campbell, a 1997 graduate of the Air Force Academy, a warrior whose career included supporting warfighters on the ground from the cockpit of an A-10 Warthog, where she earned the call sign Killer Chick. She's a mom, wife of a retired Air Force Colonel, and published author. She's a motivational speaker on the topic of leadership that includes the story of a moment where if she hadn't also learned to be a good follower, she might not be with us today as in not alive. Colonel Campbell's path to the Air Force Academy was one of overcoming resistance. She won the first fight of her life to join the wing, then she went on to lead it. We'll talk with her about her book, Flying in the Face of Fear, her time at the Academy, and much more. Kim, thank you for being here today. Thanks so much for having me, I appreciate it. It's, it's always a pleasure speaking to someone um, that we were at the Academy at the same time. I was 99, you were my upperclassman, you probably had me do push-ups or something. Uh, probably so. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's wonderful. Um, and you recently came back for your, re your reunion. I think it was last year. Yeah. How was that? Well, now that I live in Colorado, it's always, you know, I, I get to spend a lot of time at the Air Force Academy, but it is always so good to see my classmates. And I think it's so much fun because you kind of forget anything that was bad in the memories or things that you might want to forget. And it's just, I don't know, it's just, it's fun to bring everybody back together again and see everyone and see what people have accomplished and, you know, their personal life and professional life. It's just a lot of fun. I love that. I find that, you know, we, things stay the same, but they're different. What was something that really stood out to you that, you know, you, you thought was it kind of that spanned that that space of time. It really didn't get touched. What was something that stood out? I don't know. I mean, having taught at the Air Force Academy as well, I find that like the drive to serve and I just it's fun to see like where the cadets are now yes. and their excitement to serve and to graduate and go out and be lieutenants in the Air Force and Space Force. So that's definitely something new. Um, but that drive that we all had, it's kind of a reminder of where we were back then and that excitement that we felt for what's to come. And it's fun to see that in the cadets today, too. I agree. I, I have the pleasure of being able to come back uh, through work and see some of those cadets. And I'm always blown away at what they're able to accomplish now. Much more, I think, than what we did when we were here. So they have a lot of opportunities, and I mean, I, and I love the opportunity to mentor cadets when I get when I get the chance, and you know, just the amazing things that they have in front of them, challenges and opportunities, but really excited for them about what's ahead. Yes. So speaking about cadets, let's kind of dial back the time a little bit for for us and and our listeners want to get to know you better. Let's go back in time for you. What were you like as a as a young girl? What was childhood like? Where were you up? Where'd you grow up? Things like that. Well, I grew up in San Jose, California. Okay. Um, my dad was an Air Force Academy grad, class of 1970. Uh, I had zero desire to go to the Air Force Academy really? or to join the military until um, 1986, and it was not Top Gun. 
but uh, it was actually the launch of the Space Shuttle Challenger. And I think for me, there was just something in that moment of, you know, the, the obviously this thrill and excitement of flight, but then watching the tragedy that played out. I think there was something in that moment um, that I just connected with in terms of like this idea that the astronauts died doing something that they believed in, something that was bigger and more important than themselves. And that was a turning point for me. I mean, I think before that, eh, probably wasn't all that driven, didn't really have anything that I was going after kind of along for the ride in school. Um, but once I decided that that's what I wanted to do, I wanted to be an astronaut, and it flipped a switch. I mean, I just became very driven, very committed. I talked to my parents about it, and uh, my dad said, well, a lot of those astronauts were pilots, and many of them had gone to the Air Force Academy. It might be something you would consider. I don't think he actually thought I would go through with it. <laughs> and uh, I think for me, that was a huge turning point. I think my life changed dramatically um, from kind of the the young social butterfly, not a lot of interest, along for the ride, and then really committed and driven to achieving this goal. So what did that look like when you said it, it changed dramatically? What What did you do differently from that point? Well, I talked to my dad about the things that I needed to do to get into the Air Force Academy, and I became very committed in school. I I had already I was already involved with sports, but now it was like how to be the best at what I was doing and being more involved in just various extracurricular activities. And um, and then I joined the Civil Air Patrol, and that was my first opportunity to wear an Air Force uniform and start learning about this thing called leadership. And uh, I really figured out that I enjoyed it. I love the attention to detail, the sense of camaraderie. Uh, and so that for me was like this turning point. I just, I kind of just took a different path. And even my friends were, you know, they watched me completely change and shift in the things that I was interested in doing. That's really interesting because it was one moment in time that yeah. really changed your trajectory quite a bit. Absolutely. Um, so there were, so not to jump to your book yet, but there was a story in there that really stood out to me, and it kind of is probably along the time frame when you made some some changes in in your uh, decisions. But it was when you're running cross country, and you talked a little bit about um, how you handled a particular situation. Do you mind sharing that yeah. with some of the listeners? I just think that's a great story to talk about your how driven you were. Yeah, you know, and I think um, I I ran cross country. I knew it would be good for me to go to the Air Force Academy again. Everything I did, there was like some a motivation to you know how I can prepare myself to be at the Air Force Academy. Uh, I also love to run, so I was running cross country. It was I think the district finals. Um, and a cross-country race, you know, we're all jammed in at the front before the gun sounds. And then, you know, it's the sprint to try to get out in front. And during this race, um, all packed in and a runner accidentally stepped on the back of my shoe and it came off. And there was like this second of hesitation of like, well, should I stop? Should I put on the shoe? What do I do? And I just thought, well, then I'm going to be at the back. How am I going to get up to the front? So I decided to keep running. Uh, you know, which at the time I didn't really consider all the consequences, but um, I uh, I kept running. I ran, I think it was about two miles. I uh, race uh, through the hills, um, initially pavement and then hills in San Jose, California. And I, it was so funny because my coach had seen the shoe laying in the parking lot. All the coaches are kind of standing around looking at each other. And I, she said, who's yeah, shoe? <laughs> who, shoe? who is running? And she's like, oh, I know that's Kim's shoe. Like she just knew. Uh, and I ended up finishing the race. I didn't, it wasn't like my best performance without the shoe. Um, and uh, it was pretty painful by the end. But I think more than anything, that moment for my dad sealed in this idea of like, 
hmm, maybe she does have what it takes. Like, maybe she does have the mental toughness. Because I think there was a part of him that wasn't really sure that I was going to go through with it, that I would be able to handle the, the stress and the challenges. And I think that one moment for him was like, all right, she's got something that, you know, she's got, there. yeah, exactly. <laughs> so uh, it was a turning point, although it did earn me uh, a pair of crutches and a trip really? to the emergency room. Yeah. Oh my goodness. So, uh, yes. you know, consequences. I learned those as well. <laughs> <laughs> no, I think that is a great story. It was one of the, the moments in the book where I just felt really just connected to you. I thought, wow, that is truly showing grit and perseverance. And I have something I'm going to do. And so it leads into a lot of, I think, where you've had in your career have had some moments like that. Yeah. Um, so maybe we can dive a little bit into your journey to the Air Force Academy because uh, as I mentioned in the introduction, you didn't get accepted the first time. There was some resistance. Yeah. Let's talk about that. Yeah, you know, you do everything possible to to go to the academy. I mean, I worked hard in school. I did these extracurricular activities. Let's just say my SAT scores weren't spectacular. Um, and I knew that, but I was hoping that everything else would kind of make up for it. And uh, I just kept trying on my SAT. I took it five times, the same score five times, even after taking a course. And so that was an area of struggle. Um, and in April of my senior year, I got that letter in the mail that I was really excited because it was the blue letterhead. It said AF on it. I should have known because it was a small letter. And uh, it said, you know, thanks for your for applying, but it's very competitive. And um essentially try again next year. Um, and I was I was devastated, devastated because it was all I wanted. It was all I had worked for. It was, for me, it was, I really didn't want to go anywhere else. My parents made me apply to other schools, but I didn't, it wasn't what I wanted. Um, and, you know, thankfully I had this team of people around me that were supportive between my parents and my teachers, my liaison officer, and my liaison officer, who was my dad's classmate from the academy, class of uh, 70, Dana Arbaugh, he uh, he said, you know, Kim, if this is what you want, then, you know, don't quit. Go after it. You know, keep working hard. You know, we'll we'll get you there. You know, it was like it didn't mean this year, but I think he was just trying to, you know, give me the pep talk of like, you can still do this. Don't quit on it. Um, and he said, you might consider writing the Academy a letter. And I was like, oh, you know, this is the day of handwritten letters. And um, instead of one letter, I decided I would write the Academy, the admissions office every week. To and tell them week. anything I had done to improve, um, you know, an A on a test, 10 more push-ups, a few few more pull-ups. Uh, and then eventually I took the ACT and, and got a better score, got a competitive score, uh, and finally got my acceptance letter June. So like, you know, the first part of June before reporting. And it said, you know, we we will accept you as part of the class of 1997. And, you know, there was no doubt in my mind. I mean, I had other plans. I was going uh, on an ROTC scholarship to UC San Diego. And immediately when I got that letter, I knew that my path was going to change because I obviously that was what I wanted. But uh, yeah, it um, the rejection hurt, certainly. Um, but I think it also gave me motivation. I was going to say, it seemed like you learned something about yourself. You know, a lot of our listeners are looking for, uh, you know, when they're listening, they're, it's not always the highs that get people yeah. to the next level. It's sometimes working through some of those trials and tribulation. What's something you learned about yourself in that in that moment? Well, it's funny. I mean, I, like you say, sometimes the things that aren't, aren't on our bio or resume are the things that make us really stronger in who we are. And that rejection was a little bit of a turning point for me because I think about, you know, I could have quit. I could have quit on my dream. Um, but again, that support network that was around me that encouraged me um, to just go after it. And I, I kind of use that 
rejection is almost motivation um, to make sure I didn't just survive at the academy, but to excel. Like I, it was almost like I needed to prove that I belonged here. Um, even after the admissions office called me to the office, um, after I had gone through basic training and uh, they wanted to meet me because they had seen all these letters. <laughs> um, but it is it is a little bit of like, if you want something, you got to go after it. It's not always going to be easy. There's going to be challenges. And if you, you know, if it's truly what you want, then you got to stick with it. And uh, despite, you know, a little bit of painful rejection along the way. You've shown what you know, going for something that's really important to you looks like. And I think there's something to be taken from that for our listeners for sure. So from almost not getting into the academy to being the wing commander, the cadet wing commander, share a little bit about that journey because not many of us experience that either. Yeah, well, it goes back to a little bit of proving that I belonged here. Um, you know, I think for me, I just, I've always, maybe because of my parents, you know, they they instilled in me this idea that if you want to fix something or if you want to make a mark on something, then you you have to kind of step up. And um, I just realized that I really enjoyed the leadership roles that I had, whether it was team captains of um, sports or once I joined the Civil Air Patrol, I kind of felt this natural pull to be a leader in those organizations. Uh, and so when I got to the academy, I just kind of felt like, well, this this is a path that I have enjoyed in the past. Why not give it a shot and go for it? Uh, my dad had been the uh, wing commander when he was here as a cadet. And so, a um, right yeah, there is a legacy. And I just, you know, I learned so much from my parents and in the this idea of really like stepping up. And if you want to do something, if you want to make a difference, especially if you're going to complain about it, then do something <laughs> about it. Uh, and so I, I just, I really enjoy the leadership roles. I like the idea of being able to make a difference. Um, I certainly learned a lot along the way. Um, I had uh, role models and mentors here at the academy that you know helped me and kind of evolve and adapt my leadership style while I was here. But I really enjoyed it. I really think it set me on a path of you know learning something early in in what is a leadership laboratory. You know, learning, um, not always getting it right, but it kind of set me up for leadership lessons and leadership uh, later in my career as well. Those are all really fantastic examples of you know. I think how that evolved and what you learned about yourself in leadership. Would you say that your dream changed to be an astronaut to become an A ten pilot? Because I was, I was, you know, you that was your path originally. Yeah. What did that look like when you knew that you weren't either going to try to become an astronaut or you were, you know, really inspired by the A ten? You know, it's interesting because I think we set goals for ourselves. We have these dreams, and then sometimes our priorities change over time. And letting go of that dream was a little bit hard. If I'm honest, I would still love to do it. I would still love to be an astronaut someday. And you know, there's still a chance. Um, but I found that once I went on to fly the A-10, I I just I loved it. I loved the mission. I really found my passion and my purpose in supporting our ground troops. And I think part of that was because my entire career flying the A-10 was after 9/11. Uh, we deployed multiple times to combat. So I really saw where I was making a difference and I was making a difference and helping our ground troops get home safely. And I didn't want to leave that. I just really felt committed to that role and that job and the responsibility of it. Um, uh, and so I just, I kind of just took a different path at that point. And uh, sometimes it's hard, you know, to take that path and go off this course that it really had been a dream of mine for so long. Um, but I absolutely love flying the A-10. You had some, I don't want to say great adventures. They were probably great adventures yes, in great the adventures, A-10, yeah. but also some, <laughs> some very unique challenges. And so I think one that 
many may, may be familiar with, but if you're not a listener that knows about this, um, you know, you had experienced a very um, challenging time after flying for about 20 years while you were over Baghdad. Yeah. You know, those life-changing moments uh, that you think really are never going to happen to you, right? It's the especially I think back to being a cadet, right? And just the moments of like, you know, the, you have this goal, you have these dreams, you have this idea of what your life is going to be like. And then for us, you know, 9-11 changed that dramatically. Um, but it gave me the opportunity to, as an A-10 pilot to go do exactly what I was trained to do, which is close air support and supporting our troops on the ground. And uh, this mission back on April 7th, 2003 was no different than any of you know the other missions in terms of that was what we were going to do was close air support. Um, at this point, our ground troops had moved all the way to Baghdad, and so we were going to be right there with them. Uh, and uh, I think the big difference for us that day was the weather wasn't very good. Uh, there were clouds uh, covering Baghdad, and uh, you know we actually didn't think we were going to be able to do anything. We kind of thought we would we would air refuel and then kind of just wait for a tasking. And we thought, well, maybe today is not a day where we're going to be able to help. And then we got a call that there were troops in contact, they were taking fire, they needed immediate assistance, and. It's just that moment of like, we're going to do everything we can to get in there. And thankfully, we found some holes in the weather and we're able to get down below the clouds um, to support the ground troops. Um, but again, it's everything that we train for, um, everything that we plan for. Still a little bit surreal when you actually <laughs> see the firefight happening. I remember dropping down below the weather and just seeing like tracers and smoke and it's very surreal. Um, and uh, and then kind of the reality of, okay, we got to get in there quickly. So we did a couple passes of guns and rockets on the enemy location and then uh, pulling off target uh, for my last pass is when I just felt and heard the loud explosion at the back of my airplane. And I knew immediately I was hit. I mean, there was no doubt in my mind. I think the jet just nosed over. I remember looking down at Baghdad below and it instinctively just pulled back on the control stick and nothing, like nothing happened. Um, and that's kind of when I felt like time slowed down a little bit. Like I knew that it could go really poorly. Um, and I just fell back on my training. You know, I fell back on everything that I was trained to do, trying to figure out what's going on in the cockpit, despite lots of things going wrong, lots of flashing lights, and uh, realized very quickly that my hydraulics were depleted, which meant that I had no control over the airplane at this point. Uh, but thankfully, the A-10 is built with backup emergency systems, and uh, I was able to get in our backup emergency system, and then slowly that the jet started to climb up and away from Baghdad. And that was kind of the, like, that was the moment I'm like, all right, I might actually survive this, because there was that period of time where I was like, I could crash, like I could have to eject. And the thought of ejecting over Baghdad was not a good one. Um, and so it just, you know, you think about all these things and when time slows down and I was just very thankful that it turned out the way it did. And then I had to get the airplane back to our home base, which is a whole different story of of uh, spending the longest really hour of my life uh, trying to decide what I was gonna do and how it was gonna play out. I think most could never imagine being in that situation. And, you know, you talk about time stopping when it was probably just whizzing right by, oh, yeah. you know, in those moments. Um, and, and you talk about moments that matter. So getting into your book a little bit, yeah. Flying in the Face of Fear, I had the chance to listen to the audio version of your book, and it was wonderful. I think what's so powerful about it is you take these moments in your career throughout your life where these moments have helped you and in thinking about how you navigate leadership, how you just navigate better. Um, what are some of your most favorite parts about 
the book you wrote that like what, what really – when you chose those different chapters, what yeah. are the ones that really just – you're like, I must tell this one because this one really spoke to me? I think a couple things. I mean, as I was flying back from Baghdad, I remembered the stories of the pilots that came before me. Um, I had read about their stories in a book uh, called Warthog. It was about A-10 pilots during Desert Storm. And in that hour back, you know, just struggling to kind of get the airplane under control and keep it in control, I remembered the stories of the pilots that came before me. Um, and sadly, not all of them survived. You know, there were three pilots that attempted to land in manual reversion, which is my ba the backup emergency system that I was in. And um, I remembered their stories. You know, I remembered, you know, the lessons that we learned even from the fatality um, that we learned from those pilots. And so I think that's what was so important to me is to capture those lessons so that the next generation, um, you know, certainly of aviators, but also leaders, it's this idea of sharing stories um, to help others. It's this idea of sharing your experiences and your lessons learned, even if they're like some painful lessons along the way, right? Painful lessons from failure or mistakes or just tough experiences. To me, that's what was most important was to share like that true authentic lesson to try to just help others and maybe give people a little bit different perspective. That was what really drove me to write the book and what was so important for me to share. That's powerful. I think one of the things that, um, you know, when listeners or readers were going through that, they might say, how does this apply to me? You know, I'm I'm not a pilot. I'm not over a war zone. Um, you know, how how do I relate this to me? And I think what you did really artfully was just the lessons. You told a story through your lens, but you really made it relatable on so many different levels. Um, sometimes we'll have um, listeners or readers ask about how do you balance life? You have this profession of arms and you have life, family, your mom. Yeah. Um, how did you do that? And, and do you call it balance or do you call it just maneuvering, <laughs> like, you know, juggling I, balls yeah, in the air? Exactly. Sometimes I look back, I'm like, oh my gosh, I don't know how we did this. I mean, my husband was also active duty. We, he spent 25 years in, I spent 24 years in. We were both A-10 pilots. We had kids. Um, we did wait later in life to have kids um, pretty much because we were deployed nonstop in the first part of our careers. But Sometimes I look back and I'm like, I have no idea how we did it. Um, but I do know. I mean, we were really true partners in the journey. Um, we, I guess, the blessing of having a life-changing experience very early in your career and very early in your marriage is it gives you an opportunity to talk about the things that are really important and that really matter. Um, and I think that's one thing that my husband and I did after that mission was really puts life in perspective when you um, – when you think there are times when you may not survive. And so we really sat down and just talked through what was important to us. And we didn't have kids at the time when that happened. Um, and we just realized that family was important to us. Having kids at some point was important to us. Um, and I do, I think the word balance, I'm okay with it. I do, you know, I know there's um, lots of other words that people like, you know, work-life harmony, work-life integration, work-life balance. For me, what I realized is that I initially put so much pressure on myself to be like this mom, a fighter pilot, a leader, like trying to do all of these things. And what I recognize is that balance comes for me anyway, it was over time. Like if I tried to have this perfect balance every day, like first off, it was not achievable in my world. Um, but I realized for me, it was like over time. Like if I, you know, if I had one day where I was going to stay late at work, there was a lot going on, my airmen needed me. 
then I would try the next day or, you know, a few days later to just really make sure that I spent more time with my kids or maybe left early um, to spend time with my kids. Whatever it was, I just tried to find long-term balance. And, you know, that's hard when you deploy for six months. And then, you know, you're. It, it's sometimes that balance comes over months or over a year. But I think that helped me also give myself some grace that it's not always going to go exactly as we plan. And some days are better than others. But I'm doing the best I can, you know, and I'm keeping, you know, I keep working on it. And uh, I think it's just one thing that we we're pretty hard on ourselves because we want to be able to do it all. And uh, sometimes we just need to give ourselves a little bit of grace, too. Do you think that that's part of wiring that, you know, being hard on ourselves is normal to a leader? Or do you think that's just um, different personalities? I don't know. I, I when I look back at my my life, even as a young um, as a young girl, like I've I've always been pretty hard on myself. And I always think when people say, "What's the one piece of advice you would give to your younger self?" It would be, "Don't be so hard on yourself." I think um, it's probably just a very natural reaction. Um, but I think you know sometimes we have this view of how we want things to turn out, and the truth is, like you're going to make mistakes, you're going to fail. I had this idea of perfection and I realized first off it's just not possible. You can work to achieve it and and want to, you know, consistently try to improve and get better. But I think also again just not to be so hard on yourself because it is going to, you know, there there's going to be this path of ups and downs and challenges and and the reality is that it is painful at the time, but we come out stronger. Like I look at some of the worst experiences like just in terms of struggles and the worst you know, the hardest things I guess I've done is probably a better word. And and truly those made me stronger and a better person. You just don't see it in the moment. And that's the hard thing, you know. And so it's not being so hard on ourselves because it's going to happen. But the truth is how you respond is what really matters the most. We talk about leadership. And I think, you know, response to leadership is one piece of it for sure. What about, do you think leaders are born or are they made? Do you think that part of your leadership was an evolution? Or do you think people already just come with those natural talents? I mean, I think you may have some natural talents. But I think um, any leader that isn't working to be better and trying to develop themselves along the way is probably going to hit an end point <laughs> at some point. You know, I think... Um, I look back and my final job in the Air Force was here at the Academy as the director for the Center for Character and Leadership Development. And I learned so much about myself in that year. I learned so much from this amazing team that works there who are all experts in leadership and leadership development. And I love that that came at the final point of my career, you know, and um, I just feel like you, we have to constantly learn to improve and adapt. And my leadership style when I first started out was very different um, than, you know, when I finished my career. And I think it's because I was learning, I was figuring out what works, I was making mistakes, and thankfully having people, you know, share their feedback with me. So I absolutely think that it requires work. Leadership requires work. It's, um, you know, it's not easy. There are challenges, there are things to learn, things adapt, your team is different. Um, it's just constantly one of those things that professional development for me is something that should continue throughout your career, throughout your life, always looking for new ways uh, and learning from your team as well. Like right now, I learn a lot from my kids, uh, but I've learned a tremendous amount for the airmen, um, from the airmen that have worked for me as well. And that's just, it's rewarding, but I think it's one of those things that just helps us to continue to learn and grow. 
I was actually going to ask you, you know, what does learning as a leader look like? And you, and you really touched on that because I think a lot of listeners are, are looking for those nuggets. Well, how do I get better as a leader? So it's not necessarily just professional development. That's part of it, certainly. But it's also looking at others, learning from others, yeah. picking up some of those those traits. Maybe what would you say are some of those lessons or traits that you picked up from others that you adopted into your leadership style? I think the biggest thing for me as I look back and had some reflection time on this is um, – you know, I think when I started out, I had this idea that leadership was like put on this tough exterior, like have the answers, like be strong and credible and capable. And I do think credibility is important. But I've also learned that that human connection and really just be authentic and true to who you are, but really connect with people on a human level. Like that for me is night and day from, you know, I, I knew that I needed to get to know my airmen. Like that was, you know, that made sense. But I think really, truly connecting with people and taking the time to learn from them, like walking around and just getting to know your team on a very human level, um, like meeting the, with them on a personal level, also like getting to know them and their families. You know, it, obviously there's limits to this based on your position and your role, but I think just connecting with people and finding out where they struggle, you know, where do they add value? What do they bring to the organization? Letting them teach you what they do. Um, I've had a few leadership roles where, you know, I'm not the expert, you know, I, I don't have the same background that everyone does. And I just really learned to learn from my team. And uh, whether it was driving a front loader uh, with my civil engineers, uh, suiting up in a fire suit uh, and going to the burn house with my firefighters, like those were moments that I just, they're some of my favorite moments is taking the time to really connect and get to know people. And it builds trust. Um, I did not start out that way. Um, but to me, that was the most important thing that I learned, and I learned it from my airmen. There was a story you shared in your book about when you took command, and I think oh, yeah. it really talks to the human <laughs> connection piece you just spoke to. Um, I think your your was it your eldest son at the time? Yeah, he's fifteen now, yes. <laughs> but he was three at the time. Yeah, he um, he you know kids have a mind of their own, and uh, he did at my change of command ceremony for this was for squadron command. Um, and he decided in the middle of the ceremony uh, to just get up and come up on stage and uh, sit in my lap. Uh, and I was, you know, there was that part of me that is just was so worried about what my team was thinking, you know, like, obviously not proper military protocol. I was trying to figure out how I was going to do the rest of the ceremony with my son up on stage with me. Um, but I think in that moment, like I just remember looking down at my son and even though like my mind is racing because I'm so worried about what people are thinking, um, that I look at him and I'm like, you know what, this is me, right? Like I'm a mom, like that's just part of who I am. Um, yes, I am going to be a commander of 150 people. And sometimes I can't control my three-year-old son. Like that's just reality. Um, but it put this perspective of like letting people in a little bit to see me for who I was. You know, yes, I'm a mom, I'm a fighter pilot, I'm a wife, I'm a leader. Like, here I am. You know, these I'm all of these things. Uh, and it, that really, that one moment, like in the days after when I spent time just walking to the different locations and meeting my team, like that's the thing that came up was my son on my lap. I mean, that was the highlight for everyone. <laughs> And so it was this idea that my young airmen, you know, they taught me a lesson that day too. Like we earn trust when we like create those connections and and open ourselves up to have a little bit of vulnerability. So yeah, my three-year-old uh, kind of opened my eyes to just letting people in and letting people see who for who you are. 
Well, that is certainly one way that your family, um, your three-year-old at the time, <laughs> yeah. helped influence you as a leader. How else would you say, I know you said your dad is a grad, um, your mom probably played a strong role in your leadership um, throughout the years and your husband being in, um, in the military as well. Um, talk about your family's influence on you as a leader. Yeah. I think it all really started out growing up. My mom uh, was an oncology nurse um, and she really, you know, she taught me a lot about that compassionate side, um, but also very credible and capable um, as an oncology nurse. And my dad really, from the moment that uh, he decided that he was going to let me into his world of what going to the Air Force Academy was all about, um, instilled in me this idea that if you want something, you're going to have to work for it. And you're, you know, it's not going to be easy. I um, remember. I did a lot of sports like cross country and soccer. And so my upper body strength wasn't great going into um, my application for the academy. And so are you going to talk about the pull-ups? Yes, oh, I will talk I about you the there already. So <laughs> I couldn't do any. Um, and uh, my dad was like, well, if you're if you're going to go to the academy, and I think this was still a little testing, like, do you really want this? Are you really willing to put in the work? Um, he said, all right, we'll install a pull-up bar in the bathroom. And every time you go in and out, you can do a pull-up. And I did. And that meant that by the time I got to the academy, I could max the pull-ups. Um, but it was this, you know, so that little early lesson of like, if you want something, you got to put in the work. Um, and, you know, that stayed with me. I mean, obviously, throughout my career, throughout my life, it's things that I talk to my kids about now. You know, you can have goals and you can have dreams, but you have to put in the work. Um, so they absolutely like they've been my role models, my heroes, my mentors. They still are. You know, I now they thankfully live close by. I get to see them more. But um, yeah, they've actually, you know, they've really been tremendous in my life. And, um, you know, I rely on them for their advice and mentorship. Um, so that's been really powerful. Um, and then, you know, having a husband who uh, was also a colonel, also a commander, to have somebody in your life you can bounce ideas off of who will have your back and and give you honest feedback, right? Like, you know, um, we're very honest with each other and we'll give each other feedback. And so that's really important. You know, it's that wingman uh, support, right? Of somebody's always there that has your back, that's looking out for you, will support you, but will also like push you to be at your best and, um, and has been a true partner in raising our family as well. So yeah, family is really important to me, and I think it can make a tremendous difference in, in our lives. And and my kids now teach me a lot of things uh, as well, uh, <laughs> patience being one of them. <laughs> I understand that. So so being out of the uniform now, you know, what are some things that you are doing to continue to develop yourself as a leader? I think it's continuing to push myself outside my comfort zone. Um, you know, I. I uh, retired a few years ago, and that was a hard transition. You know, I miss the people. I miss the camaraderie. I miss that sense of commitment to service. And I realized that there's so many ways you can serve outside of the military as well. And for me, I realized part of it being um, in the Center for Character and Leadership Development, how passionate I was about inspiring others and helping other leaders, whether they're brand new leaders or maybe even very experienced leaders look at something from a different perspective or to continue to push themselves out of their comfort zone because we can get comfortable in the way we've been doing things. And so I just realized that that's something I'm passionate about. And so I've realized um, maybe I'm not serving in uniform anymore, but I'm trying to give back um, in a way. And I, I love the opportunity to mentor our next generation of cadets. Uh, but I also um, love the opportunity to travel, to talk to different teams and organizations um, from the public and private sector to talk about leadership and and talk about 
overcoming hard things and putting in the work. Um, and that's been a lot of fun and very rewarding. I can imagine so. And in, in that journey of developing yourself, even outside of uniform, you know, as a, as a leader, you talk about pushing yourself outside your comfort zone. Yeah. Can you share a time maybe where you, you've been doing that and you failed and what that looked like and how you picked yourself up or a time when you really um, saw some benefit from pushing yourself out of the comfort zone? Uh, I can talk to both. Um, I think, you know, I th I think anytime you try something new um, that feels a little bit scary, like it just, it feels daunting. Um, and I think even just for me, if I look back probably earliest in my career, just being one of the only women going into a fighter squadron, and that felt very outside of my comfort zone. I mean, I, yes, I had gone through pilot training and I had gone through the training and I had earned my spot, but it felt very nerve wracking to go into a fighter squadron um, for the first time. I mean, the one of the biggest failures I had was my final check ride in pilot training. And that was a moment where you know, I had done so well up to that point, minus some early bouts of air sickness, which is a totally different story. I might have read about that too. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Just when you think you have this whole thing planned out. Um, but my final ride in pilot training um, was, you know, I it's my formation ride. I had put myself out there as wanting to fly fighters, wanting to, at that point, we had made our dream sheet of fly the A-10. Like, I felt like I had done so well up to that point and really put in the work. And then I really struggled with my final formation check ride. Um, and again, sometimes those moments of that are so hard and such a struggle are also the moments where you learn the most. And, uh, I had made some mistakes, um, in the ride and the fl flying in the formation and, uh, I didn't let them go. Like I just kept focusing on the mistakes, um, and I performed terribly on the ride. And, uh, you know, thankfully my instructor gave me some honest feedback and was like, Kim, you're a good pilot, but that was a terrible ride. <laughs> um, but I think that one ride really reinforced to me this idea of when you make a mistake, like let it go. Like you can't focus on it. You just, you learn the lesson and don't do it again, but let it go. Um, so I think, you know, that was one of those ones where, you know, certainly didn't, um, it didn't go so well but I think really made me stronger and a better pilot and a better leader. And I'm thankful that I learned it early in my career. I will tell you on the on the positive side of, of getting outside my comfort zone, like I never thought I was going to be an author and I never, it wasn't on my dream list. It wasn't a goal that I had set my, for myself. And I joked to my husband a few times, like I wrote the book, but then was I going to have the courage to publish it because it felt very vulnerable. It felt very vulnerable to put myself out there and to share some of the stories. And, you know, the good stories are one thing, but the mistakes, the failures, you know, the things that didn't go as well, it felt very vulnerable. And, uh, you know, he always laughed. He's like, of course you are. You have to take your own advice. You know, even when you're scared, you do it anyway. Uh, and so pushing myself outside my comfort zone to publish the book and put it out there. And now to get the feedback from people of how important it is to hear the, not just the good, but the bad, right? The struggles, the challenges, and to know that, you know, yes, you can have this amazing resume and done the, done some amazing things and how to have a great career, but what are the things behind that? And I think that's sometimes what we miss. And so I'm I'm thankful for the opportunity. And it's been, it's a reminder to me that even when it feels uncomfortable, that we, we have to go for it, you know, to put ourselves out there and give it a shot. And, uh, you know, this has been incredibly rewarding. Well, I have to say, you know, it's it's funny that we've only just met in person for the first time today when we hugged and said hello, because I feel like I've known you. I mean, aside from reading the book, I remember going on LinkedIn when you got the box of your shipment oh, of, your, yeah. of your book. <laughs> and, um, and I just remember being in that moment with you feeling 
I think you were so like emotional about opening up the box and seeing your book and holding in your hand like this was it was a special moment. I felt that with you. Yeah. And so I think, you know, your leadership um the way you inspire people has it's it's transcended, you know, different social mediums and also yeah. just people that you never even met. So yeah. I thank you for that moment because yeah. I mean that really inspired me as well. It was um I think it was also like it was the you know, seeing the book for the first time, but also like the, oh yeah, like now it's in print, like there's no turning back now. Um, but yeah, you know, it's um, even pilots and guys that I flew with were like, can we thought we knew you pretty well, but like I, we had no idea that the, some of these things were going on or that, you know, these were some of the things that you were feeling. And um, I just, I appreciate that, you know, that they recognize that, that there, sometimes that there's a lot more going on with people um, that we don't recognize. And so, you know, putting yourself out there is a little scary. Um, but it is, like I said, it's just been such an honor to be able to connect with people and for them to share their stories with me and to know that in some way I can help make a difference on their journey. Well, for the listeners that are looking for nuggets and how to um, get to know people better, when you just said that, you know, we thought we knew you, we didn't know you had all, this, all those things going on. How would you um, share with leaders that they might do that better for people that work for them, their colleagues. What does that look like if they're not writing a book? I think it means, um, you know, we often say, well, I have an open door policy. I think it's more than that. It is getting out of your office, getting away from the computer and walking around and really talking to people and just taking those small moments with people as individuals, as humans, and really getting to know them. And, you know, again, it's all about like, let them teach you something. You don't know everything. You know, how can you learn more? How can you continue to develop and grow? What can you share with them that you learned on your own journey? Yes, you can do that in large groups, but sometimes that one-on-one -on -one, like, hey, I've been there. I know what you're feeling. I struggled there too. This is where I failed. You know, those little moments are really important. And it lets your team see you as human too, right? Like you're not perfect. You don't have all the answers. You have your own challenges. Uh, I think that is truly important. That human level connection um, really is important. Yes, you should be credible. You should be capable. You have to put in the work. But that humility and approachability is also so important. What are the one or two key lessons in leadership that you'd really love to share with our listeners? Like, what do you want them to take away? Yeah, I think um, one of the things that really sticks out to me and is something that we uh, learned as cadets as well is the idea of having a wingman by your side, personally, professionally, um, someone that will have your back, someone that will support you. I think it has been so critical throughout my life. I think of that moment over Baghdad when everything was going wrong. I mean, I just everything was going wrong. And all I said over the radio was two got hit, two got hit. That was it. And immediately my wingman stepped in. He, you know, immediately provided me guidance and support when I needed it most. And, you know, when the adrenaline is pumping, we're feeling overwhelmed, like that wingman can step in and help us see, see the bigger picture, make the best possible decision. And I think that mutual support, like, yes, it's that moment over Baghdad of having that mutual support. But I think back to as a cadet, right? Like the moments of struggle through basic training or recognition or just academics, whatever it was, like having people that you could count on to be your support network was huge. Uh, and even, you know, as a leader at, you know, as a colonel, as a leader, as a commander, all these different times, 
I wasn't alone. I had, you know, a team. I had chiefs that were just incredible who would shut the door and give me honest feedback, but who would also support me. And I think that is just so critical to have somebody by your side. And again, it's personal. It's professional. I mean, my husband has been my wingman. Uh, I think it's just a reminder that we don't have to do hard times alone, that we can have a wingman by our side that we can count on. That is a fantastic lesson. Yes. Well, there's always the possibility that when our listeners, um, you know, review this and and go back through the through our time together, there will be things that they would wish they'd wish we'd talk about. Yeah. So, um, how can they get a hold of you? You know, what does that look like? Well, first off, I would love for people to reach out if there's a question that you know or something that someone wanted to ask or you know that we didn't cover. Um, I think it's important that people reach out and ask the question. I love to connect with people. Um, the easiest way to get in touch with me uh, is probably through my website because then it has links to all the social media channels uh, and my email. So the website is uh, kim-kc-campbell.com. Uh, and again, it has links to LinkedIn and Instagram and Twitter and um, all the different locations that you could find. Uh, it also has links to my book. If people are interested in the book, it's available Amazon, Barnes & Noble, your favorite local bookseller, wherever you would like to purchase the book. Um, and like you said, it's available in an audio version. It's available in hard copy. Um, but yeah, please reach out. Um, I'm open to uh, feedback as well. I love when people share some thoughts about the book and thoughts about the podcast. It would be great to connect. Well, I'd be remiss if we didn't end with just the quick story of how Casey Killer Chick <laughs> came to be. Like, can you just share with our listeners how you got that call sign? Yeah, the KC part, right? So everybody thinks it's my initials because that's the easy button. Uh, but uh, it uh, every fighter pilot has a call sign. Uh, and I got mine after being designate, designated combat mission ready in the A-10. And uh, we're not in the room when they tell stories about us from our experience. But I was the only female fighter pilot in our A-10 squadron. And so uh, I came back into the room, lots of cheers, lots of excitement. And they said, your new call sign is KC. And I was like, well, that's kind of lame. I didn't say that out loud uh, because it's my initials. And they said it stands for killer chick. And I was like, all right, well, that's fitting. You're like, so I can handle that. I can handle that. <laughs> well, this was wonderful, Kim. Can you remind the listeners one more time the name of your book just so in case yes. they missed it? Yes. Flying in the Face of Fear, A Fighter Pilot's Lessons on Leading with Courage. Thank you so much for your time today. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. You've been listening to Long Blue Leadership, a production of the Long Blue Line Podcast Network, presented by the U.S. Air Force Academy Association and Foundation. The views and opinions of the hosts and guests do not reflect those of the United States Air Force, Air Force Academy, Association of Graduates and Foundation, its staff or management. The Long Blue Leadership Podcast drops every two weeks on Tuesday mornings. Subscribe to Long Blue Leadership on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, iTunes plus Alexa, and all your favorite podcast platforms. Search at Air Force Grads on LinkedIn, Facebook, YouTube, and more for show announcements and updates. Visit longblueleadership.org for past episodes and more Long Blue Line Podcast Network programming.